and it is a church plant that is in a community very much, very much like Charleston. It's a port city. It's a city that has a combination of both Jewish, Greek, Roman, as well as others from around the world uh, of people that live there. One of the seven wonders of the world, the Tempest, the Temple of Diana is there. And so we see in this new church in Ephesus a collection, a rather motley crew perhaps, on Sunday morning as they would begin to worship both in, I believe, community groups in their home and then gather together for corporate worship on Sunday morning. You would see both Jewish Christians and you would see new Gentile Christians. And a wall was up. And Paul uses the image this morning of a wall, he says in verse 14, he calls it a dividing wall of hostility and says that a wall has come up between these two groups and it's because they're taking their identity from their culture, from their family lineage, from their former or previous worship style or preference. The Gentiles are, let's call them first generational believers. The Jewish are God's original and only chosen race. They're the, they can trace their lineage back to being the very first believers. And Paul And the text that we look at this morning says, no, no, we are not to take our identity because we are historic Presbyterians or historic Reformed uh, believers or take our identity that I'm new in Christ. I know nothing of the Bible. I know nothing of church history. I know nothing. I'm just now learning how even the church worship service is put together and how to worship. I'm a newbie. That that's not, that may describe us. Okay? That may describe us. But it doesn't define us. That may help identify us, but it's not our identity. Our identity as a Christian is that I'm reconciled. That I am reconciled with God and now being reconciled with God, I can be reconciled with all men, despite their differences. And so we're going to see that there is a dividing wall. And it's a wall that alienates each party. We also are going to see that Christ has come and He's torn down that wall and we are reconciled. And then, out of that rubble, comes a new people built into a new church. Let me, let me tell you a parable. Once upon a time, there were two groups. They were extended family, but over time they had become, instead of one tribe and one clan, they had divided. And 
They built a wall in between themselves. Oh, it was a rock wall, and at one point you could still see over the wall into the other clan. And you could see over that wall into the Neekin clan. Now the Neekins, if you were to look at their yards, you would see that they were very well-mannered, manicured, and they were well-mannered as well. Every blade of grass was the perfect height. Everything was in bloom. And on their side of the wall, they even had strawberries and various ornamental plants planted into the crevices. But on the other side of that wall were the Slopkins. Now the Slopkins, I don't even think they owned a lawnmower that ran. It just sat there in the weeds and the high grass. There were plenty of bare spots just showing hard scrabble ground. And the Slopkin side of the wall had graffiti or trash that was stuffed into the crevices. But one of the clan, Neekin, said, this should not be. For we have, in our lineage, we have the same father. And this wall should not divide us in our relations to one another. And so he tore the wall down. And it enraged the Neekins and the Slopkins alike. They no longer had a wall that cloistered them in and kept others out that they took their identity from. And so they killed him. And the blood of this one spread all over the rubble of that wall. And so then the Slopkins and the Neekins came together and they said, okay, we must rebuild. And they began to pick up those bloody stones and it reflected the great call and love of he who died that they might be reconciled in their love the one who pointed to the love of the father and said we need to tear this wall down and at the cost of his own life his blood shed on each of those stones they said he paid a bloody price that we might learn to love one another What shall we do with these stones? And they took those stones and they built a church. And that church then became the place of worship for the Neekin sitting beside the Slopkin. And all the community around marveled. And they said, what a mystery. What a a beautiful, beautiful thing. These who were at war with each other and yet had the same father are now able to worship and to love one another in the same place. And those outside of the church began to ponder and wonder themselves, I wonder if they would receive me. I wonder if they have walled me out. I wonder if I could go there. The Apostle Paul in Ephesus here uses a wall and has a wall in mind that they would be very familiar with. In verse 
12, he says, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated. And then later, down in verse 19, he'll say, so then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you're fellow citizens. He's talking to the church, and it would hold both the Gentile Christians, the newbies, and it would hold the Jewish Christian, God's ancient people. But the Gentiles' ears would pick up because they knew what it was like to be treated as an alien. Let me describe quickly the temple to you. The temple had five walls. The temple had, first of all, imagine it's on a, it's an elevated, it's on an elevated plane as well as elevated uh, structure. The temple housed the Holy of Holies where the ark was. And it was separated by the curtain, the veil. Next was where the priests did their work of the showbread and the incense and the candle. And then that area where they ministered, was separated to the area of the priest, the court of the priest, where they slaughtered the animals. Next, you had the court of Israel, which was where the men folk were separated from both the priest, and then there was another wall, and you had the court of women. And then there was another wall. Fourteen steps down, another wall. And on that wall, there was signage that said, Goim, Gentiles, non-Jew, do not cross beyond this barrier wall. Do not trespass upon pain of death. You're taking your life in your own hands and may very well be executed if you go any farther. Your access is not near. And so they were kept as far away in the parking lot. It would be like a group of people today that would say, hey, I'm a Christian too. I want to come and worship at Two Rivers. And we would say, praise God, you're a Christian, but we want you not only in the foyer, we want you not only outside in the, uh, the entry. We don't want you simply in the parking lot, but there's a fence out there. We want you even beyond that. We want you across the street. And that's where you will worship. But we, who are holy, because you see, the holier you are, the more access you have to God. The closer you are to God is because you're holy. And this idea of superiority or superiority in lineage or understanding of, of the scriptures or, or, or the, uh, the, of our denomination or in my faith, it begins to creep in such that we begin to look at others as inferior. Look at verse 11. They had a nickname for the Gentiles. Sociologists tell us that when you give someone a nickname, it's because you either love them or you hate them. Well, in this case, there was no loss of love. They called them the uncircumcised. That would be similar to calling someone unclean, unwashed. We saw in the 60s when the Jesus people 
starting on the coast of California and working its way across America, we saw where hippies began to come to church. And they began to sit down. They didn't know how to sit in a pew. They began to sit down and assemble at the preacher's feet. And what was most off heard was, these people are unclean. They're unkempt. Look at their long hair. Look at that loose style of dress. I don't know when they last took a bath. And they began to be called nicknames. We have the millennial generation and now on its hills is Generation Z and they're, they're nicknames that are being given. And some of them are offensive. Whenever a church of long standing with a long history sees an influx of first generation Christians or new believers, there is a challenge to say, am I finding my identity and my worship preferences and my worship style that I have made into prejudices? Or am I saying, if it's not sin, if it's just a matter of style, I can meet them in the middle. I can compromise or I can shift or I can accommodate. I can change so that we can worship together even in diversity. Do we alienate anyone? Think about two boys outside of church in Ephesus. They've just had a worship service. Paul gave this, uh, maybe this letter was read even. But one little boy is Gentile, one little boy is Jewish. And they're both Christians. And so the Gentile says to the little boy, um, i got a question for you. Are there Gentiles in the Bible? And the Israelite, the Jew, the Jewish boy, would begin to answer him. Now in Romans 9, verses 4 and 5, Paul gives us just a little slice of what every Jew knew about himself. They are Israelites, and to them belong the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the worship, and the promises. To them belong the patriarchs, and from their race, according to the flesh, is the Christ who is God over all. So this Jewish boy says, oh yeah, 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 you're all over in the Bible. You know when you read about the Babylonians? That's you. The Chaldeans? That's you. The Assyrians? That's you. The Egyptians? That's you. You know when you read in the Bible about David and Goliath? We are David. You're a Goliath. You know when you read about Daniel and the lion's den and wicked King Nebuchadnezzar and his idol? Well, we're Daniel, visited by the angels. And you're wicked King Nebuchadnezzar. You know, we're Moses and the people headed to our land that is promised to us, and you are Pharaoh in Egypt that were our mortal enemies. Oh, wow. Alienation begins to take place. Even though Christian, it's that heritage, that who's your daddy, or what, if you begin to take your identity from religion, then at heart, 
you're saying my religion at some point is going to become superior so that I can, it basically becomes identity idolatry. And what you make an idol out of, you'll then find as a consequence, you will demonize. Let me explain. If I say, oh, I just love being, and I do love being Presbyterian. I'm obviously a Presbyterian, Presbyterian minister. But if I take my identity from being Presbyterian, I will begin to belittle others who take their identity in other religious groups. What I idolize, I'm going to begin to demonize. It could be my political party. My political party is going to be superior to your political party. I'm circumcised, you're unwashed and dirty. And Paul says, it's not to be. Paul says, we who are reconciled with God shall now be reconciled with one another and we take our identity in being reconciled. I am not just Presbyterian. I am not just two rivers. Those things describe me, but they don't define me. My identity is I'm reconciled. I'm a reconciled one, and now my calling, my life is defined by being reconciled to God and celebrating that, and then also calling others to reconciliation and living a reconciled life. Apostle Paul in Ephesians Chapter 3, verse 6, which we are walking through Ephesians, by the way. I am not going to have a separate message on Ephesians 1 through 13 because it's a reiteration of Paul's point in verses 11 through 22 that we're looking at this morning. And the reiteration is this, this work of reconciliation Though long promised, even to Father Abraham. Abraham, you are not going to be simply be known as the father of the faithful of those that proceeded from your loins, your lineage, but you're going to be the father of nations. All those that were separated at the Tower of Babel, all those language, from all of those language groups will come worshipers and they will be grafted in, adopted, they will be received. Though Gentile, they will be received not as aliens, not as people passing through, but they'll be received, as it says in verse 19, It's fellow citizens, fellow heirs, fellow children. And he says this in Ephesians 3, verse 6. This, he calls it a mystery. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. So he says it's a a mystery that is now revealed. It's a mystery that we now see how it works out. He said this is the last chapter in this book, this mystery that we're reading. Now that we look and we see a church that has Gentiles worshiping Christ and Jewish people worshiping Christ, he said the mystery is now solved. It's, It's seen and I'm glad to be an ambassador of this mystery. Why? Because it prompts our hearts to be forever grateful 
to God because we are Gentiles. Unless I miss my guess, somebody can correct me at the door and say, I'm Jewish by birth or lineage. But we're all Gentile. We are all those that prior to this mystery being revealed and solved, prior to being reconciled, we would say, I am not reconciled. But now we can say, I am reconciled to God because Christ is not only for the Jew, but He's for the Gentile. And now I'm reconciled to the Jew and Gentile and stranger alike. I want you to see how this plays out. Look at verse 13. How are we reconciled? We're reconciled by the Gospel. In verse 13, he says, he uses the description of near and far. And he will do this again in verse 17. He'll use that description of near and far. And he said, those who are far off, peace has been made. That sign that says you can go no further, that sign is removed and it's taken away. In verse 18, for through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. There's no more walls. Those that were far off, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. In verse 14, it says that the wall has been broken down in His flesh. Verse 16 says that He might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, killing the hostility. This, This dividing wall of anger He is now completely broken down so that we're reconciled to God and to man. Okay. Here's how it works. So this is, this cross has come to represent Christ shedding blood. It represents God's wrath towards sin, His rightful judgment, and it also represents my sin. My wrath toward God, my wrath toward other people, my wrath toward life. So it represents my sin, God's rightful wrath, and by Christ's blood on the cross, I am reconciled to God because Christ satisfying God's wrath, now God has peace with me. God is reconciled to me because of Christ. And because Christ did that for me, and I now have peace with God, I now have peace. And when I reflect on being reconciled to God and experiencing that peace, that there's no more guilt, no more shame, no more fear. My anger is being replaced by love to see one that did this for me as my substitute. That is grounded in a world where it goes out as reconciliation to others. It's important that you see that because Paul says this is the only power 
that will allow any differing cultures to ever be reconciled. It's the only way. It's the only way. Being reconciled to God now allows me to die to my own preferences. It allows me to repent of my prejudices. It allows me to see that God was willing to meet me and give His own Son, and I should be willing to meet with others and give up even false idols of superiority or haughtiness. I have, here you go, I have no room to be haughty that I am better than anyone else because He didn't die for a superior person. He died for a sinner. I am reconciled. That's my identity. Every time you go into a church, we meet in a school auditorium, but every time you go into a church that has a cross, that's what it's communicating. It's saying, man, woman, there's no man, there's no woman. There's a reconciled person. Now, male and female may describe you, but it doesn't define you. Your reconciliation does. Young, old. Young person, old person. That may describe you, but if you are a Christian, you are reconciled. Black, white, new Christian, old Christian. There is no longer, Paul says in Romans 3, verses 23 and 24, there is no distinction for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. In other words, my superior attitude is crucified. It's, it's dead. I see myself as a sinner, but I see myself as a sinner reconciled to God, justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by His blood to be received by faith. Verse 19. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens but your fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God Martin Lloyd-Jones says about this verse he said the Gentile believers are now handing over their passports passports and they're receiving their birth certificates and the Apostle Paul says, and it's a marvelous thing, he says there are not going to be two churches, there's going to be a whole new third other. There's not going to be a Gentile church where we're a little, we're a little more accommodating and understanding that they have all these laws and rules that they, they can't obey yet. You know, like, Food offered to idols. You know, every Friday night, preacher, I used to eat with my buddies free food, free wine at the, the temple of Artemis. I don't worship Artemis anymore, but it's free food and it's good. Is that okay for me to eat food offered for idols? Well, the Jewish believers were like, ah, what's happening? All these new Christians were creating all these new questions. And Paul doesn't say, we're going to leave you over here till you work it out. Then you can come up to us and graduate to us. He says, no. It's not going to be a Gentile church. It's not going to be a Jewish church. It's going to be one new people. 
he uses the language of, of in verse 15. He said it's going to be the creation of a new man in place of the two. Or else you'll never have peace. You'll always, we do it better than them. They don't do it like we do. He says, but one will make peace as long as this cross is ever before you. What does this new people look like? Let me close with this as application. Number one, he says in verse 20, this new people are going to be built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. The apostles and the prophets were those who wrote this. They were they heard from God. They were, if you know your catechism, they were holy men inspired by a holy God to write his holy word. I mean, they are holy. That God has spoken to them. So that this morning, whenever I say, well, the Apostle Paul says, I could say Jesus says. The instruction at Two Rivers, what Two Rivers will look like as a new people, is that we are instructed by the Bible, by the Scripture, by God's Word. We believe it has integrity. It's trustworthy. It's our, it's our guide for life and faith. Apostle Paul in Corinthians, and he does this throughout his letters. He says, now that you're a new Christian, Gentiles, this is how you're supposed to live. Hey, and by the way, Jewish believers, stop this. This call for them to be circumcised? Stop. No, they don't have to be circumcised anymore. Well, how does he resolve it? He says, let's go back and let's look. Let's look and see what God teaches. Secondly, a cornerstone of Christ's gospel. He says that this new church, Two Rivers as a church, is going to be built upon the most important thing is the cornerstone. It's the largest stone. It's at the corner. Those two walls as they ascend properly are going to rest on it. The gospel. This. This is our foundation. You and I, boy, I tell you, we, I love you two rivers. And I know sometimes we get out of sorts with one another. But I suspect that we never get out of sorts with one another about this. We're clear on this. This is our cornerstone. This is what we agree on. This is seen as good news. I am reconciled. I am reconciled. I am reconciled with God. You're reconciled with God. Now we can live reconciled to one another. Paul says that's resting on that cornerstone. That's building your church on the cornerstone. A wall of stones fit in community. Notice it says joined together in verse 21. The whole structure is joined together. So it's like the, the Neekins and the Slotkins taking those stones and building a new church and doing it without mortar. But they're taking this rather odd-looking stone over here and they're putting it in in such a way that it fits. So you would be amiss if you're on a quest to find a church that looks just like you. In fact, far too many people will flee, they will run, and they will do what we call 
Here's what we call it church hopping. They will hop from one church to another because there's as they begin to be fit by God into the growing church that they are a part of, it can either become too confining or it can become a little uncomfortable. And what God's doing is He's saying, I'm transforming you and you're transforming this community that you're in. We need, we need you. We need you with all your idiosyncrasies we're not looking for people at two rivers that look just like us, in other words. We're looking for people that God is saying, I'm placed, you need them and they need you. And it's all a wall. And it becomes in the community a visual. It says it grows into a holy temple in the Lord. It's a visual holy temple that others can look and say, wow, isn't it amazing that that odd ball group, that they, they seem to have so little in common that they can worship together. And there's, I know there are difficult people in there, but they accommodate and love those difficult people. I know that there's diversity there, there's different age groups, but they love one another. And it becomes a great, great testimony. And then finally, it becomes a place that God says, I'm moving in. That's the two rivers that I'm going to move into. That's the church. That wall by Christ has come down. They are no longer alienating toward one another. They're no more little cliques or sects or, or teams or, you know, inferiority complexes or superiority complexes going on. We're reconciled. And as we continue to grow under His hand, with His blessing, we sense His nearness because He's with us. He's dwelling with us. This morning, I would have you look at the bread at this table in perhaps an unusual way. I'd like for you to look at this bread, which we're told represents his body, I want you to see it representing stones. This bread represents those bloody stones at the cost of his own life. He tore down that wall such that now there's no reason for us to be prideful or superior in ourselves, but with all humility looking to him, we can approach those bloody stones and we can build a community. We can build a holy community in Him. So that as we take these stones and we eat them, we're reminded once again that by His blood, I'm reconciled to God. And then this stone, this bread, strengthens me as I am built and I'm fit into this growing church that reflects Him and His good news. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I ask that You would set these elements aside for this very purpose. That we would see that we are reconciled. And that is our identity. This table, this, this bread and this cup proclaims that. And then taking it in, we would be strengthened to go. To go to others. 
and work and seek and live as the reconciled in reconciliation with others. We ask these as favors and mercies. In Christ's name, amen.